0: Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In Now Podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Joining me for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy, in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, welcome back. Hope you had a nice weekend. Uh, thank you for joining us here on a Monday morning and looking forward to our conversation.
1: Thanks, Dan. Good to be with you. And I hope you had a good weekend, too. Maybe uh, even got a little uh, rest in.
0: Thank you, Shane. Yeah, I enjoyed the uh, the Olympic sports for sure. That, that held us over, I think, until the big game next Sunday. And I know we'll get into the Olympics and foreign policy a bit later in the conversation. Uh, stateside topics uh, wanted to catch up with you on before we do so. Uh, starting with Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, he made headlines over the weekend by indicating his confidence in the eventual passage of the updated Electoral Count Act of 1887. So, Shane, could you provide us with some back? background on this law, which is in the process of being overhauled, as I understand it?
1: Yeah. So back uh, in 1887, Congress passed the Electoral Count Act in order to clarify the procedures outlined in the Constitution for the process of uh, counting electoral votes following a presidential uh, presidential election. And some of you may may remember from January 6, um, 2021, uh, just over a year ago, when the electoral votes were, uh, to be counted, that was the day of, um, you know, violence at the U.S. Capitol. Um, and, you know, pr- former President Trump had been calling on Vice President, uh, uh, Pence to, to nullify, uh, the election results in certain states to essentially try and, you know, kick back the election results in his favor. <laughs> Um, so this is a bipartisan effort by a few senators to try and, you know, update and clarify this law from 1887, essentially reiterate that uh, the vice president's role is ceremonial and has no ability to reject the state's electoral votes. Um, former President Trump is trying to say, see, this proves that I was right, that Vice President Pence could have uh, overturned the election results uh, but you know i think these group of uh senators are saying listen we we just want to clarify this law was written you know 100 almost 50 years ago and while we're at it you know let's let's you know kind of um reinforce what its purpose is you know by also trying to maybe move the uh voting requirements from a simple majority to uh something more like a a, um, a 60% threshold for uh, any election results to be overturned so you know, this has bipartisan support uh, at the moment uh, from this core group of uh, senators but there are of course anytime you get into an exercise like this um you know there are people on both the left and the right who are attacking it so we'll see where it goes but i you know at this um, moment you know it, it 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 seems like a possibility but you know there's it's a political hot potato at the moment. So we're going to see how it, how it progresses in the coming weeks.
0: All right. Well, Shane, very helpful. Thank you for the clarity on this bipartisan initiative. And we can certainly track how this develops in the weeks to come. Uh, maybe sticking with Capitol Hill. So there has been some rumblings of a possible unionization of Capitol Hill staff. And I believe this concept has even gained the support of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. So, Shane, what sparked this initiative and what would this look like should it take shape?
1: Yeah, what actually sparked it is, you know, social media. Um, This has been something that, you know, some have been calling for for years now. And they haven't gotten much uh, traction. You know, Capitol Hill, uh, by and large, is uh, staffed by um, younger people. But, you know, there are people in their 40s and 50s uh, working on Capitol Hill. And, you know, so with thousands and thousands of Capitol Hill staffers, you know there is turnover for a variety of reasons. You know, uh, pay reasons, um, but also you know some other things like sexual harassment. You get people leaving because um, you know they, they find themselves in uh, sexual harassment incidences and want to get away. So I think you know this is uh, while being pushed for years, it hasn't gained much momentum. And in the past few you know days and weeks, it's gotten a little bit more push, and then. Actually, an Instagram account, which had, you know, uh, a few thousand followers uh, about a week and a half ago and has grown to 75,000 followers, um, has been able to get the support of people like Speaker Pelosi and other Democrats um, by calling out uh, some of these instances that, you know, in their minds um, really call for the need of a union for uh, these staffers uh, and their protection. Um, you know, so it's going to be interesting in the next few days and weeks of how this plays out, but this uh issue definitely has gained life. Um, just in a matter of days, and most like mostly due to social media.
0: It sounds like a lot of momentum in a short span, so we'll see how this takes shape. So maybe switching gears a bit, outside of Washington, we recently heard how North Carolina's Supreme Court, how they rejected the state's new maps for congressional and general assembly seats. So what's the thinking there, Shane? And could we see similar outcomes across other states?
1: Yeah, so this was a victory for Democrats, uh, given to them by their state supreme court um you know the uh republican-led legislator redrew redistricting maps as all the other states are currently undergoing their processes to do and um democrats uh took the maps to the supreme court challenging them and have won um you know uh, currently north carolina has 13 congressional districts and they're actually getting another Seat. So it would have been 14. It will be 14, I should say. And uh, Republicans were hoping to have a 10 to 4 advantage. These, uh, this action by the Supreme Court kind of kicking it back uh, will uh, hamper the, that that uh, goal for Republicans. So maybe it ends up being, a you know, a 9-5 uh, split. You know, that's still to be determined. But you're right to point out that, you know, North Carolina is not the only state Kind of struggling with this process. Courts are expected to determine the maps in several other states like Wisconsin, Louisiana, and Pennsylvania in the coming weeks, just to name uh, a few besides, you know, other court challenges that have already taken place. So, you know, this is another win for Democrats. Uh, Democrats are going to need wins like this in the redistricting process in order to uh, have uh, a better um, possibility of retaining the majority in the House uh, in the 2022 election.
0: Thank you, Shane. Yep, yeah, a lot of implications here as we look toward November. So. We'll keep an eye and see how this develops as we make our way through the months to come. All right, so maybe one topic we could hit on before we close out. Of course, I do want to spend some time on geopolitics. I did mention the Olympic Winter Games uh, at the beginning, which, of course, did kick off in Beijing, China over this past weekend. Uh, You did see a lot of headlines pointing to the attendance of Russian President Vladimir Putin. And that, of course, comes at a very interesting time. We've been talking about these tensions in Eastern Europe, and they've only grown over the past 48 hours. I believe National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan over the weekend indicated that a Russian invasion into Ukraine could occur any day. So where do we stand as of this morning on this, Shane?
1: Yeah, I think it's also first important to recognize a little historical context. It was you know, during the um, 2014 uh, Winter Olympic Games when you know Russia uh invaded ukraine to take uh crimea so you know this um has some precedent we'll say uh and why is that you know for those of who may have been history majors a long time ago remember that you know uh, this is a unique period where um you can move troops tanks etc uh because the ground is frozen if you get into the spring the ground you know um uh, saturates with all the uh, melting ice and it almost becomes impassable. So, you know, this is kind of that time frame where if action is going to happen, it, it may be, um, most suitable for the action to happen from a, you know, strategic reason. So you're, you're right. National security advisor Jake Sullivan said that, um, Russia couldn't create, invade Ukraine any day now. Um, and you know, this could <laughs> launch a, larger conflict that would, uh, in, his, in his estimation, cost an enormous human cost. So, you know, um, with that, further intelligence has, shows that Russia has assembled about 70% of the firepower that they would need for uh, in an, in an invasion, you know, on the border of Ukraine. So, um, you know, they're building to something. It's a question of what will that something be. And, you know, I, I think the as I said, the window is, is kind of right now, but, and, and Jake Sullivan reiterate that, as you noted that he said, it could happen any day. Um, so it's going to be attempts, uh, a few days and weeks, but we're seeing, you know, other people try other leaders of nations to try and get involved and and, uh, simmer down tensions, you know, like, uh, French president, uh, Macron, uh, talking to, uh, Russian and other allies. Um, uh, so, uh We're going to be talking about this in the next few weeks, uh, unfortunately.
0: Very interesting parallel you drew to 2014. So thank you for making uh, that point, that context. And of course, we'll keep our eyes on this. But uh, Shane, thank you very much for dropping by the podcast again here on a Monday morning to bring us up to speed on a range of developments, a lot to follow up on. And we'll look forward to picking back up with the conversation again soon.
1: Great. Thank you for having me. I look forward to joining you next time.
0: Thank you, Shane. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So as a reminder to our listeners and our clients, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which is located up on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS Trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. The information in this discussion has been prepared by and reflects the opinions and various investment views of the speaker. UBS Financial Services, Inc. has not independently verified such information and does not guarantee its accuracy or completeness. This information is being provided to you for your information purposes only and does not constitute a recommendation or an endorsement by UBS Financial Services, Inc. of the author, the securities, or views stated herein. Any specific Securities discussed should not be considered a recommendation or solicitation to buy or sell any particular security. You should not assume that any investment in any of the securities was or will be profitable. UBS Financial Services, Inc. or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, different in material ways. We are governed by different laws and separate arrangements